This morning we are continuing in our series through 1 John, and we'll be in 1 John chapter 2. And I have a question. Just like the farmer cared about his barn and the mother chicken cared about her chicks, does God care about the earth? Like the, the physical earth? Does God care about the trees and the birds and the rocks and the ocean and the rivers? Does he care about us? Yes, he does. He cares about you, Hazel. So much. God cares about you so much. For many of us who have grown up in the American church, particularly the American conservative church, we were kind of taught an eschatology or an understanding of the end of all things that kind of a little bit contradicts with that in some ways. Because many of us were taught that at the end of all things, God is going to take the earth and throw it into the lake of fire with all things that are sinful and all his enemies, and then our souls are going to be raptured and go and spend eternity in heaven with God. Any of you ever heard uh, a version of the gospel that sort of teaches that? The earth is going to burn, your soul is going to go to heaven where you'll spend eternity in heaven. There's a major, major issue with this teaching, and that's that the Bible doesn't actually teach this. Because what the Bible teaches is that the earth and our bodies and the things we're made up of, the matter that we're made up of, is actually good. Look at your neighbor and say, it's good. It's good. So what do you think happens if we all believe that it's bad and that it doesn't matter? What happens to the way we treat the earth if we think that it doesn't really matter because it's going to burn anyways? What do we do? We, do, we pollute, we don't take care of it, we throw our trash out the window of our cars, right? There's all sorts of stuff we do. If it's all gonna burn, why bother? But what if, and this is the question I have for you today. <laughs> what if, what if new creation, while not fully realized, has already begun? What if God has already started new creation? I believe that this is what the scriptures teach, that the new creation, Jesus says at the end of Revelation, behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new, new heavens, new earth. What if God's new creation has already started? Tim, you're not allowed to answer this. What would God's first act of new creation be? If it's already started, what's God's first act of new creation? Anybody venture a guess? New covenant. How is the new covenant ultimately ratified? Through love. So what is the thing that died that came back? Jesus. What if God's new creation began already with the resurrection? God's new creation, his, his creating and making all things new, has already begun through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to pick up in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 14. 
So let's stand up and let's read these verses together. You can read them from the screen. Read with me. My little children, I am writing these things to you. You know what? Pause there. I'm sorry. We're going to skip ahead for the sake of time. Let's start in verse 7. We covered those verses last week. All right, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Amen. Jesus, thank you for your word. We pray that as we look at these verses for a few minutes, we just invite your spirit to teach us more about you. Form us deeper into your image. Our minds, our bodies, our souls, every part of us, let us know you deeper walking from this place, from having spent time in your word together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. All right. These first few verses are really what I want to focus on here for a few minutes. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment. Why isn't this a new commandment? It's not a new commandment because this is the Apostle John. And do you remember what he says in John uh, 13 and then 14, 15, 16, 17, that beautiful passage where he washes the disciples' feet? All right. So in John, uh, after he washes the disciples' feet, the Apostle John says to the disciples, a new commandment I give you. And what's he say? Love one another. Yep. Love and, and love as I have loved you. So do as I have done. A new commandment I give you. So the Apostle John, this is his core message, and he has taught this to the church. And so he's saying, beloved, I'm not writing to you a new commandment. We're writing about what we've always said. Live in the same way as Jesus and love in the same way as Jesus. This is what you've heard from the beginning. But then look at verse 8. Then he says, well, on the other hand, that would be another way of translating it. At the same time, on the other hand, it actually is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Why is it a new commandment? Because. Because what? What's it say? Because... The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. And I think this is a way of John saying that in Christ, 
the new creation has already begun. And so when we are walking out our faith journey, we are participating in God's new creative work. Now, what happens if you have an understanding of the earth is bad and matter is bad and it's all going to burn in the lake of fire and the only thing that matters is souls. So what is of ultimate value in that understanding? Saving souls, right? So what's more important, an evangelist or a janitor? Exactly. If that's your understanding of the kingdom, then clearly there's this dichotomy, there's this answer that's given, well, what's most important is that I lay down my broom, I put down my mop, I put down my cloth, and I move across the world to be a missionary. Now, I am a missionary kid, and I, have, I am all for missions. I am all for taking the news of Jesus Christ everywhere around the earth, but I'm also here because I believe that God has made all vocations sacred in the kingdom of God, which means whatever you do, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do unto what? The glory of God. Whatever you do, do unto the glory of God, which means when you're at home wiping down toilets or when you are doing computer software stuff, whatever computer software is, people do, or when, I, when you're teaching children, or when you're a farmer, or whatever you're doing, do it unto the glory of the Lord, and you are participating in the kingdom work of God. This should be encouraging to you because it means that your vocation, cutting hair, making teeth, running a feed mill, raising children, whatever it is, being a nurse is sacred and you get to participate in the ongoing new creation work of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons why John wrote the letter, 1 John, is he was addressing one of the most ancient heresies of the church. One of the first heresies of the church, it was called Gnosticism. Everybody say Gnosticism. What Gnosticism teaches is that the spirit is entirely good and matter is entirely evil. From this unbiblical dualism flows five important errors. This is from the uh, NASB study Bible. First, that bodies are evil. But what did God say about bodies when he created them in Genesis 1 and 2? He said they are good. They are good. Theologians aren't exactly sure how this works. But it's not just our spirit or souls that reflect the image of God. In some way that we don't fully yet understand our bodies are icons of God. Your body images God. So it matters how you treat it. It matters how we treat it. It's not the full thing. We are more than just body. We are body, soul, mind, heart composites. But in some way, it's the fullness of who we are that images God. So in Gnosticism, bodies are evil, and salvation equals escape from the physical world. Does this sound familiar? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> For many of us, we were taught a Gnostic version of the gospel. That your body is bad, and it's going to burn, and God's going to rapture your soul into an eternity of bliss in heaven. But this is not the gospel. The gospel is that I make all things new through Jesus Christ. Number three, Christ's physical human, humanity was denied. It would be a problem if God became a person with a body, if, if bodies are automatically bad. That would be problematic. And so what Gnostics began to teach was that Jesus was some sort of hologram or a vision 
that wasn't actually there in the flesh and blood, didn't actually have a body, didn't actually bodily die, that people just saw him or had dreams or visions of him. How much time does John take in his gospel to say, we touched him, we ate with him, he breathed on us. Like, that's, you don't want me to breathe on you today. That's the worst thing that could happen this morning is for me to breathe on you. Jesus, it says in John, at the end of John, he gathered his disciples at his feet and he breathed on them and said, receive the spirit of God. It is so core and key to our understanding of the kingdom of God that we understand that Jesus came in the flesh and lived a bodily life. Number four, bodies are to be treated harshly. This is aesthetic Gnosticism because your body is evil, so you whip it and treat it badly. But paradoxically, this dualism also led to licentiousness. That's a fancy way of saying that it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies, so we might as well sleep around and eat whatever we want and party like there's no tomorrow. And so this is uh, Gnosticism, and it was creeping into the early church, and it has continued to come into the church um, in various different ages. John says in verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment. This is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And contained within this beautiful, simple statement is John's belief that Jesus arrived and lived and is God incarnate and walked and did miracles and ate and drank and slept and lived a human life and died and was resurrected again and we will share in that resurrection inheritance and it matters how we live today. It matters how we treat one another today because it's not all just going to burn and God cares about this earth and he cares about the way that we treat one another. Gnosticism continues to show up in our culture. Uh, one of my closest friends, Justin Boyer, who's church pastor at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, um, he's a really, really intelligent guy, and he coined this phrase about 10 years ago that just continues to strike me, just brilliant. He coined the phrase digital Gnosticism, and this was a long time ago that he did this. Everybody say digital Gnosticism. What digital Gnosticism is, it's the way that the modern world has begun to live a disembodied life through digital means in the modern world. We might not believe Gnosticism in the same way that they did in the first century, and yet we live as if we do because we're living our lives through social media and through digital means in a disembodied, disincarnate way. In digital Gnosticism, what matters most, what is most important is the image that is publicly curated. In other words, in my generation, generation, the millennial generation, the Generation Z, and shoot, the generations above me have probably fallen into this every bit as much too, but I'll speak for me and younger, my kids. What we have come to believe is that which is most important is how you view me, particularly through the way I curate my image through social media. And so social media is this experiment in human, uh, in, in digital Gnosticism where I'm putting before you these glimpses of my life that aren't actually my life. And you knowing me through that isn't actually you knowing me. And you liking that isn't actually you liking me. It's not real. It's not real. It's not a body to body, flesh on flesh relationship. It's Gnostic. It's the, it's the removal of the body from the soul, from the spirit. 
In digital Gnosticism, what matters most is, um, or that second part, where it didn't happen unless there was an audience. Have you noticed this? It didn't matter that you went on a hike unless you took a picture of it and posted it. It didn't actually happen that you went to the beach unless you got so many likes. It didn't actually happen. Your, your fight for truth and justice didn't happen unless you had an audience. What matters most in digital Gnosticism is that you have an audience. It's that you're seen. So we are disincarnated from our body in very, very similar and I think destructive ways to those first Gnostic teachings thousands of years ago. I think John is here to tell us to live a life incarnate with Jesus because he has lived a life incarnate with us. If God had chosen, could he not have put a screen in the sky and showed a, a slides from his life or a movie from his life. No, he came in the flesh. He walked among us. And how his kingdom goes forward is you and I doing the same thing. The spirit of God within us birthing resurrection power through the blood and forgiveness and reconciliation of Jesus Christ that we too might walk in the same way that he walks, that we might live in the same way that he lives in fleshed in the body, and I wanted to talk about this today because more than at any other time in history because of the pandemic as well as because of the technology, we are able to live digitally distanced lives. And I don't have an answer for you because yes, we need to continue to socially distance and yes, we need to be careful and yes, we need uh, to keep from gathering in person and all of these things. So I don't have an answer or I don't have a fix, but I know this, that the way that God's kingdom will move forward is still people living life together and sharing the gospel and walking in friendships together and representing and iconing Jesus Christ to the world. So this is an invitation for you and for me to wrestle through this and the implications of this in this crazy, confusing, difficult time. How are you imaging the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the way that you walk? It is so easy to live without hope right now and to take on the attitude, it's all gonna burn. Heck, it's burning already. What if God would have had that attitude? <laughs> while we were still sinners, this is a verse we focused on last week, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came in the flesh. Beloved, I am writing to you, listen, let your soul listen to this as we close this time in the word. Let your spirit receive this and have hope implanted in you. Let the spirit of God plant hope in you. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard at the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Take a minute and just meditate on that. Tim and Kim, you can come up. Meditate on that phrase. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 
Lord Jesus Christ, the one who took on flesh, the one who bore the wrath of God, the one who physically lived and was physically crucified, the one who limited himself with humility down to the limitations and the finiteness of man, who could be in one place at one time and had to walk and had to eat and sleep. This is the God we worship. John Mark Comer has over and over again said recently that our phones are like a human experiment in omnipresence. If you, God, would limit yourself to one place, one time in history and live a life in the body and bring salvation to all men and women, all men and women throughout history through that person of Jesus Christ, then who are we to think that we can separate ourselves and be everywhere and live a disincarnate life? And Father, I'm confessing, this is the spirit of the age. I am drawn and tempted with, to this every day. Father, we are crying out for wisdom. This isn't a sermon of answers. This is a sermon of questions and a crying out to you for your spirit to move in us, that we would live as you've called us to live in this confusing, crazy, difficult, overwhelming time. As the waters crash around us, we declare, God, mightier than the thunders, mightier than the waters is our God, and he reigns forever. And the image of God is the firstborn of creation. The image of God is Jesus Christ. So may you, God, teach us, your people, how to walk in a manner worthy of the upward calling in Jesus Christ that you have given us. Teach us to care for our brothers and sisters. Teach us to care for our, our earth. God, the earth you have entrusted to us. The first, you know, for the first thing that God gives to Adam and Eve is to steward the earth, to cause it to flourish, to take care of it, to name the animals. Teach us to care for creation. Teach us to live as you have called us to live. And yes, teach us to take and preach your gospel in every language, in every time, in every place. But let us also be a people who believe that every vocation is sacred when we do it unto the glory of the Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.